Well, good morning, all. It is uh, indeed good to be back with you and uh, have the privilege of opening the Word of God uh, to, together with you uh, this week. As Jeff mentioned, uh, we are back at our home in Tacoma. We, uh, we kind of wrapped things up here. Uh, as I remembered, uh, it was just two, two years ago this month that we were finishing up our series that the other staff members and I did during our time here, series on the book of First Timothy. And uh, then we moved into the time when uh, we were examining Pastor Jeff, whether, whether or not uh, he would be our pastor. And then installation on November 1st, and then by Thanksgiving weekend, I was on my way down for my first contact down at Bandon, Oregon, on the Oregon coast, and we spent 16 months in a church down there. Now, it's, this gives you an idea of the, the variety of our ministry, because we went from this congregation, where we were interim pastor for a number of months, to Bandon, Oregon, and our first Sunday there, there were 28 people present at the church in Bandon. Uh, this is a church that had a long history, a stable church. Uh, God had blessed over a number of years, but a number of things had happened, and, and uh, it became really questionable at the point that we went there officially beginning on January, first Sunday of January of 2016. It became really questionable whether that church was going to survive or not. So it is, we're delighted to see them having called a pastor and moving forward and uh, uh, God uh, beginning to bless that ministry again. <clears throat> we, we think of our time here often. I think of it uh, when I sit down to study at my desk and I have a desk clock that you folks gave me. It's a memento at my our last Sunday here when Jeff was installed. And on top of the shelf of my, my bookshelf is, is the, the little matchbox style muscle car that Pastor Jeff gave me. <laughs> so uh, we think of you often and uh, have been busy and even after we've come home, it's been, been a busy time. There's ministry events, but in addition to that, there's, a, there's so much to do. You know, when, when you kind of leave your home and you're gone most of the time for 16 months and it gets minimal care, you know, somebody mows the lawn and rakes the leaves and makes sure it's not broken into and that sort of thing. Uh, so we've had a lot to do, but uh, God, God is good and it's great to be back here today. I'm going to invite you this morning to turn to the book of Joshua, chapter 4. And I'm going to begin by reading the first eight verses of Joshua, chapter 4. Uh, we're going to be referring to a, a lot of other places in the Old Testament. But I, I want this as, as a background because this is kind of the, the heart of, of what I want to share with you this morning. The message that I've entitled, A Memorial for Our Children. <clears throat> Joshua, chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 1. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priests' feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, of whom he had appointed a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take, each, take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, 
according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over to the place where they lodged that night, set them down there. Let's pause for a moment and ask for God's insight into his word. Father, your word is precious. Your word is your revelation to us. I pray that we might see what it is that you would say, that you would communicate from your word to us today. Open our hearts, open my mind, guard my speech so that you would be glorified in our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. It was uh, a number of weeks ago that I first uh, communicated with Pastor Jeff about the possibility of, of speaking here on a Sunday morning. And having done that, I uh, thought about this for while and as I contemplated the possibility, I decided that I was going to come here to Joshua chapter four and I was going to speak on this subject as I've indicated, a memorial for our children. After I made that decision, there was an interesting change. We changed the date that I was agreed to be here. And that was okay because the date was open and it worked, worked well with my schedule. But it, set, it kind of set a, an interesting confluence of, of events for this Sunday, August 6th. Uh, unless you follow these things, and I just happened upon this fact. Unless you follow these things, you, you're probably not even aware of the fact that today has been designated as American Family Day. And uh, today we're talking about a memorial for our children. It's also for you here at, at, at EBC a very important day that has to do with families and children because it's, v it's the beginning of VBS week. Well, actually, obviously, <laughs> VBS week began <laughs> before today, but officially kicks off VBS week uh, for you. And it's also the day in which we as a church have chosen that we will celebrate the death of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, at the Lord's table and do what Jesus told his disciples to do in remembrance of him. So those things all come together in this whole concept of a memorial for our children. My, my thesis today is really simple. It, it is, it's this. It is of utmost importance that we teach our children both the word of God and the power of God. That we teach them the word of God and the power of God. And I'm not going to be launching into... Let's see a whole lot of miracles, just to ease the mind of some of you that might be getting worried at this point. <clears throat> in order to do this, I'm going to uh, review the setting of the verses that we've read here in Joshua chapter 4. And then I'm going to examine the specifics of what God told Joshua to do in these verses. 
And then finally, I'm going to look at God's purpose as he had previously revealed it to his people in the book of Deuteronomy. And so, launching into that, the setting. What's the setting of this chapter? Well, the chapter begins by saying when the nation had finished crossing over the Jordan. So obviously, uh, the immediate setting is that they've just crossed the Jordan River. But go back a bit. Go back quite a bit before that. It has now been 40 years since God delivered Israel from Egypt. And those who were alive at that time in Egypt saw God working miraculously with many signs in Egypt. And then eventually with God opening before them the Red Sea. But because everybody over age 20 at that time has now died because of God's judgment upon the nation when they rebelled against God and refused to go into the land. Remember that from Kadesh Barnea they sent out the spies. And then they rebelled against God. And God said, all those who were over 20 years of old when you left Egypt are going to die before you enter the land. So by this time, that generation has died. Those who were the, the, the leaders, uh, Caleb, Joshua, being the exceptions to all to that. And, and so there was a new generation. Uh, the majority of the nation then was either unborn or too young to remember the incident of the crossing of the Red Sea. There were a few, uh, shall we say, between the ages that were between the ages of 10 and 20, somewhere about that span, when they crossed the Jordan River. And so there were just a few of the people that even remembered the crossing of the Jordan River. And then let alone all the things that went with, with the giving of the law, all the signs and miracles they saw then, even the beginning of the manna falling every day. Most of the people present at this time had grown up with manna on the ground every morning except the Sabbath day. For decades, they'd lived this way. And so now after decades of living as nomads in the deserts areas south of the promised land, Israel had finally just shortly before this crossing of the Jordan River, they'd come up on the east side of the Jordan River and they defeated two major kingdoms on the east side of the Jordan River. And as this incident unfolds, uh, they, are, uh, <clears throat> they are camped on the east side of the Jordan River and we, we learn from uh, chapter 3, verse 15, that at this time of the year, the Jordan River was flooded. Apparently, also because of a reference to in chapter 2, verse 7, of the spies going to the fords to go back to their camp, and the, those that were pursuing the spies, either, these are the spies that had gone out to check out uh, uh, Jericho and to, to prepare for that battle. Uh, there's a, a reference to the fort. So, so apparently they would have been near, somewhere near this area where people commonly uh, forded the river. So as they prepare for this, there's a couple of specific things that God gives instruction about. I find one of the most interesting to be that in, in chapter 3, verse 6, God says that I want the priests to carry the ark and to stand in the Jordan River as you pass over. That's significant to me because the priests were not the people that usually carried the ark. The Kohathites were the people that usually carried the ark, not the priests. But in this day, God said, I want the priests to go and carry the ark 
and to stand in the Jordan River. And so the ark and the symbol of the very presence of God in the hands of those who ministered before God daily in the tabernacle proceeds into the river. And we read in chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, that when the priest's feet touched the water, the river stopped flowing. And as they describe the, the places where water backed up to in that chapter, I calculated that there's something like a 15-mile-long lake formed upstream from the place where the priests stood in the Jordan River. And they stood there, and river flow was cut off, and the nation of Israel was allowed to go across. As the priests holding the Ark of the Covenant stood in the middle of the river, all the nation of, the, of Israel crossed from the east side of the Jordan River to the west side. Well, almost all the nation, because two and a half tribes had decided to settle on the east side. But 40,000 of the men who were going to be men of war went over with them as well, though their families stayed on the east side. The populace crossed the river about a half mile down river from where the ark was. And, and there, you know, we're in, we're in a riverbed now, so it's going to be easy to see up there, a half mile. Up there is the ark of the covenant. And there's the symbol of God's presence in the sight of all the people holding back the, the waters of the river, allowing time for the flow of the river to go past and for the nation of Israel to, to go over. And as I would expect in a situation like this, I read in chapter 4, verse 10, that the people went over with haste. I would hurry too. <laughs> and get over the river so that they're on the other side. Those 40,000 men of war were among those who who uh, crossed with the nation of Israel because they were going to be part of the army of Israel in conquering the land of Canaan. After the, the whole nation crossed, the priests who bore the ark also crossed over to the west side of the, the river. And we read that when the soles of the feet of the priests were lifted upon dry ground, the river returned to normal, which as I already said at that time, at as we begin this, at that time of year, was overflowing all its banks. Now remember from the passage we read that as the priest stood there, before they left the middle of the river, God's presence holding back the flow of the river, before they left, 12 men, one from each tribe, had obeyed Joshua's command, and they took up a stone to be presented as a memorial. Uh, that, that account is, the basic part of it is in chapter 4, verses 1 to 8 that I read. We're going to come back to that, especially as we close this morning, and some of the things that are important there. But, but as the memorial proceeded, that was important as well. Uh, all Israel, perhaps as many as 2 million people, we don't have an exact count at this time, they crossed the river and they camped at Gilgal. Gilgal is about one and a half miles from Jericho. Can you imagine, can you imagine being a resident of Jericho on this day when all the hordes of people of the nation of Israel crossed the river and they set up their camp about a mile and a half away? 
God had, had given Joshua this specific instruction that he was to select one man from each tribe. And each man was to pick up a stone from the place where the priest uh, stood in the riverbed and carry them to the place where the nation lodged that night, which was in Gilgal. And Joshua's instruction was interesting to me because it sa he says that he instructed the men to take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder. Okay, so a stone upon his shoulder, we're looking at least at rocks like these. We're not looking at a little stone you pick up in your garden. We're looking at rocks. We're looking at something that's going to be set up as a memorial, something you can see, something that you can establish so that when people walk by it, they'll say, oh, what's that? And we'll get to the significance of that as we go on. <clears throat> and they carried them to the place where they lodged that night. So they were sizable stones. Uh, Joshua also was instructed that this was to happen, that this may be a sign among you. In verse 6, this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? These stones are not there because we want to prove that we crossed the Jordan River. The stones are there as evidence, a reminder of the fact that we crossed the Jordan River. Their purpose was for instructing future generations of your children, which is why I think it's significant that on this first day of the VBS week, we're talking about a memorial for our children. These stones we read in verse 7 of chapter 4 are to be a memorial to Israel forever. Now Joshua went one step beyond what God commanded, and he had them also erect a monument in the middle of the river, which we are told by the, the text is there to this day. And my guess is that that monument would have been visible when the river was not at flood stage. At flood stage, perhaps not visible. And so Joshua then set up the 12 stones, which the men had picked up in the middle of the river. He set up those stones as a memorial in, in Gilgal. And those stones are there so that the nation of Israel would see a visible sign of what God had done for that nation as they came across the Jordan River. Now, God didn't give this instruction in a vacuum. The nation of Israel had already been instructed as to how they were to teach and to train their children. I would invite you uh, to look at Deuteronomy chapter 11. If, if you've ever been involved very much in children's ministry, you will recognize this because I'm sure somebody has used this to help you understand the importance of ministry uh, to our children and what we need to do for our children as we teach and instruct them. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, uh, beginning at verse 18, let me read several verses here. <clears throat> this is God's instruction to the nation of Israel as to how, how they were to teach their children. And he says, Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 18, therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand 
and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk in the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, like the days of the heavens above the earth, that if you carefully keep all these commandments, which I have commanded you to do, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to hold fast to him, when the Lord, then the Lord will drive out all these nations from before you, and you will... Will, will dispossess greater and mightier, mightier nations than yourselves. Every place on which the sole of your, your foot treads shall be yours, from the wilderness and Lebanon, from the river, the river Euphrates, even to the Western Sea, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand against you. Uh, the Lord your God will put the, the dread of you and the fear of you upon all the land uh, where you tread just as he has said to you. So this was God's promise to them, but it was based upon the fact that they were to be careful to instruct their children. You know, it's easy for us to not do that. You know, it's really easy. It's really easy for us to say, we have a really good Sunday school in our church. And, and we have vacation Bible school, and we have a wana. We have all these things, and, and these things are instructing our children. So we're going to delegate to the church the responsibility of instructing our children. That's really easy to do. And for parents who are really concerned, then you send your kids to a Christian day school. And they get more instruction. And they get, they get the, you know, the academics with, with a, a, a right, a biblical a lifestyle, a biblical philosophy of life behind it. And so, so it's very easy to, to, uh, to just say, well, I'm going, to, I'm going to delegate this to somebody else. But God told his people, you need to instruct your children. You need to instruct your children. Well, that doesn't mean we don't do things like VBS and, and Awana to reach other kids, but but it places a responsibility <coughs> upon us <coughs> and upon what God wants us to do. So, so these, uh, these principles then are to be our guide. And I find them established in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, uh, Paul writes and says, Fathers, bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so these are not just Old Testament principles that died with the Old Testament. These are principles of life that God wants us to practice. So I want to think then for a few minutes about the principles by which we live with regard to this memorial. Remember, I, I, my thesis was that we teach them the word of God. We also teach them the power of God. We're going to look at those two things as we go through now these last few moments. Principles to live by. One is... Make God's word an important part of your life. Therefore, you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign in your hand 
that you should be frontless between your eyes. And I don't think that God is intending for, as the nation of Israel sometimes did, to do, take this literally and make these little symbols. He, but he's saying that this, this word of God has to be an important part of your life. It has to be the guiding principle of your life. Your children are going to hear, they're going to see how you make decisions. And if they see you making decisions according to the wisdom of the world, that's what you're instructing them to do. That's your instruction to them because they're watching you do that. So he says, make the word of God so much a part of your life that it's seen visibly as part of your life. You know, one of the things we often like to do is make the religious part of our life visible on, well, you know, when we're with other Christians or when we're preaching to a non-Christian. But let me tell you, your children in your home, they see the consistency or inconsistency of whether that is an important part of your life or not. He also tells us to, to teach our children the principles. Uh, uh, lay them up in your mind, and he said, you, you shall teach them to your children in, in uh, verse 19. He talks about when you're sitting in your house and when you're walking in the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You know, I think it's so easy for us to, to put life in category, categories. And, you know, this is the work part of our life, and that's a totally different part of our life than, than the church part of our life. And we do this with our children as well. And so in order to make sure that we instruct our children rightly, we say, you have to have a time every day, or at least often, if we don't say every day. But you have to have a time when, when you're, you're making it a point that I'm devoting this time to teaching my children. And I'm suggesting to you that that's probably right, but, but the real teaching of your children comes as you're walking through life. Uh, one, one of the things that was our privilege in, uh, in our ministry down in Bandon, Oregon, was, was that we, uh, we helped the people walk through this pastor candidating process. And it wasn't like we did here at Edgewood where Jeff was already on scene and everybody knew Jeff and, and uh, you know, we're giving him the final examination and asking him the hard questions and putting him on the spot. It's uh, contacting people we didn't know and trying to decide if this person might be a person God could use in, in this church. <clears throat> One of the men we talked to extensively had this, had this great discipleship manual that he'd put together. And, and he was going to teach the elders his discipleship manual so that then they could have discipleship classes with other people. And I thought, that's all great. What do you do? Now, we're talking about a rural community here. <laughs> with all the things that go with a rural community and being involved in everybody's life and all, everybody knowing everybody else, what's going on in everybody's life. Not, you know, not like our urban communities where people can live two blocks away and you never meet them unless they come to the same church you do on Sunday. And, and so I ask him uh, what he does, uh, what his week looks like. And he talked about spending all these hours of the week in his study, preparing all these great sermons and messages. And I'm all for great sermons and messages, believe me. But when God told the nation of Israel how to train and instruct their children. He said, you do it in your house, you do it on the way, you do it when you lie down, you do it when you rise up. That means you do this as you're living together in the events and, and focuses and cares and, and events of life. 
You're doing this all the time, sharing the principles of the word of God. Teach your principles of the faith. Sometimes we allow ourselves to just teach rules. Okay, here's the rules of our house. As long as you're in my house and you're my child, you're going to have to live by my rules. And we haven't taught principles of what life is all about. And then we wonder what happens when they leave our house and make frighteningly wrong decisions. And I can tell you, even if you do your best to teach principles, they're still going to make decisions that you're not quite so sure about. <laughs> I know that happens. But he's saying we need to teach the principles. He, when he says that we should post these things uh, write them on the doorpost of our house. I don't think he's actually saying that we ought to put, you know, a panel on the, by our front door that has all these things on it. But he is saying you need to take a public stand for what you believe. This is not just something behind closed doors. This is something people know that you believe. This is important to us in a culture that more and more says it's okay for you to believe whatever you believe, but believe it privately and don't bring it into the public. God says make it public. Let the world know what you believe. Write them on the doorposts of your house. <clears throat> and so that's how he's teaching them the principles. But when we come to Joshua chapter 4, he's saying, not only do they need to know the principles, but they need to know what God has done. We need to have memorials. We need to visit memorials. We need to come have times when, when our children say, whoa, what's that all about? Now, maybe you're not great at memorials. Uh, I, I've never been either. But let me tell you what happened one time a number of years ago. I was going to a convention. <laughs> it was in Pennsylvania. And the people that I was traveling with to the convention said, we've got to take a day to go to Washington, D.C. I've read all about Washington, D.C. You know, I had all the history. I had, hist I had American history when I'm still American history in high school. And, and uh, you know, I'd heard all these things, and I, I knew what was there. I knew what to expect. But I tell you what, everything I expected, everything I learned kind of faded in the background when I stood at the Lincoln Memorial and read the words inscribed concerning President Lincoln. It had a moving effect that reading about it in history books never had. And I think this is what God is saying. There comes a time when we need to, to be able to say to our children, look, this is here because of this. And let me describe to you what this is like, not just because we read it in a history book, but because now we're looking at it and we're visiting those memorials. That's why Joshua said, God told Joshua to set up these stones as a memorial so that when you pass this way and your children say, what in the world is that pile of rocks all about? Why is that so important? You stop and say, it was right here. This is Gilgal. This is, this is right where the nation camped the first night when they came across the Jordan River. And this is how they crossed the Jordan River. Look out there at the river. See how, see how raging it is at this time of year with the flooding? Look at that river. And this is what God did. Our kids need to know that. Not just the love of God, the grace of God, but the power of God. 
We need to visit the memorials of what God has done. We need to tell and retell the stories of God's greatness. Last Sunday morning at uh, Sunset Bible Church uh, over in University Place, uh, Matt Ritchie was, was uh, speaking. And uh, they're doing, in their church, they're doing a series this summer on Psalms. And so Matt Ritchie was speaking in one of the Psalms. At one point, he, he was talking about the Psalm that is relating the greatness of the things God has done. And he made this point. Matt said, you know, I remember not only the greatness of what God has done as told in the Bible, but I remember sitting with dad. James Ritchie's his dad. I've known, we've known James Ritchie for quite a few years. More years than we've known Matt. <laughs> and uh, he said, I, I remember sitting with dad. And he told me how growing up, up down in the Sacramento area of California, he was born into a family of pagans that had nothing to do with the word of God, had nothing to do with the scripture, and how God moved into their family and transformed the family and changed them one after another. And they became followers of Jesus Christ. And Matt said, I remember those stories of the power of God in the life of my father and my family. A few years ago, uh, our second daughter gave me a ream of paper and said, she did this probably for a birthday. She said, Dad, I want you to write down the stories you used to tell us as we were on vacation and sitting around the campfire at night. The stories of what happened when you were growing up. You know, and somehow I think in the busyness of life and in the fact that every time we come to a spare moment in our lives, we're doing this instead of sitting around a campfire listening to stories. Somehow we miss recounting the greatness of what God has done. Oh, we'll send our kids to Awana. We'll send them to Sunday school. We'll send them to vacation Bible school, even to Christian day school. We'll teach them the principles of the word of God. We'll teach them all the, all the doctrine. But they need to know the greatness of God as well. <clears throat> now, these stories are primarily for our children, but they aren't only for our children. As he presents them here, they're to be told to our children but these are stories that others hear as well. In, in chapter 2 of this book of Joshua, the spies had, had gone into uh, Jericho and they came to the house of Rahab. And you remember the story of Rahab. But in chapter 2, verse 10, Rahab says, we heard. We heard the account of the Red Sea. That's 40 years ago, folks, for Rahab. We heard the account of the Red Sea. And this was before the crossing of the Jordan River. So they hadn't heard that story yet. But they heard the account of the Red Sea and they said, we know God is doing something. When we recount these stories, be sure that we help our children understand that God is the hero. It's not us. It wasn't Moses who divided the Red Sea. It wasn't Joshua who, who made the, the Jordan River cease to flow. It's God who did this. And we are to do this so that the whole world may know that our testimony for the gospel is what God is doing. The goal is that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord is mighty. That's what, that's what Rahab learned. That was God's goal. And that you may fear the Lord your God 
forever. Sadly, in the nation of Israel, Israel became so consumed with living in the land, so consumed with building a, a safe society, uh, living in a land that flowed with milk and honey, which is in an agricultural society, a euphemism for a booming economy, as we would look at it today. They became so consumed with that, they, they, connect, they neglected to teach the words of God to their children and did not remind their children of the power of God. So that we read in Judges chapter 2, the people served, served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua who had, been, had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. There arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And for the next 200 plus years, Israel's history is marked by repeated times of ignoring God, living in bondage, repenting, being rescued, and then repeating the process. Folks, teach your children. Teach them both the doctrine of the Word of God and teach them the power of God. And in these days when some people would tell us, let's ignore the Old Testament, let's Let's emphasize the power of God seen throughout the Old Testament, the glorious work of God. And I can say, and I can say this with conviction, <clears throat> there is nothing greater than to see God's transforming power in the life of an individual. No greater miracle I've ever seen than to see how God has changed some of the people I've known who've come to God. But the accounts of the great power of God to our children must go with that, with the doctrine and the theology for them to be followers of God. That's my challenge to you today. Teach both the words of God and the power of God and do it this week. And as we come to the Lord's table, don't let this just be something we do every month as a routine. Make this be a time when we say, this shows the greatness of our God through the death of Christ on our behalf. Father, thank you for your word today. I pray that you would help us to apply it to our lives, to our children, to our grandchildren, to future generations. In Jesus' name, amen.